<laughs> Not that I introduced something. <laughs> So the festival takes us further from Radhika to Gadadhar, somehow to the glories of the associates of Radha and Krishna. <coughs> Today we have Bhaktinath Thakur's appearance. This appearance thing. Huh? Appearance. Appearance, yeah. yeah. For sure. And when there's a wonderful verse defining prema. <laughs> Ananya Mamata Vishnu. When the whole consciousness is directed, one pointed towards the Lord. But not just this. Mamata Prema Sangata. Also to that which is connected to the Lord. We discussed a few days ago that is everything. <clears throat> But then Krishna is saying in Bhagavad Gita, in that way that you act towards me, I will respond to that mood. So now Krishna is saying the same thing. I have a love for that Ananya Bhakta, for that one-pointed devotee, but not just for him. <laughs> Mamata Prema Sangata, also that which is in connection to him. And this is how Guru Tattva is working. So we feel very fortunate somehow to be connected to some Vaishnavas who have one-pointed love towards him. Because he loves Radha and Krishna one-pointed and everything in connection to him, to them. But they act in a similar way. They have one-pointed love towards that bhakta and everything connected to him. And these are called disciples or the souls who, are, who love to invite that soul in their heart. So, and it's very interesting. We, we discussed how Putana was yesterday. <laughs> the, we discussed about Putana, and it's because in her previous life she had a moment and a prayer of pure bhakti. That's why Krishna took her even in the spiritual world. But not just her, also this personality which were in connection to her, and this is Agar Bhakasura. They didn't do anything, but they, because they were the brother of Putana, Krishna thought, oh, I, I not only love her, I also love them so much. And they had some, they got something much higher than just Mukti. It's something special. So this is what we 
are allowed to do a very to celebrate and put our consciousness in a very special and very dear Vaishnava Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur who actually already with 18 when he was 18 years old when he wrote his first book it's called Poriade. It's about King Puru. This was an Indian king who defeated Alexander the Great. So, but it's, for me, it was always meaningful that this wonderful soul who, Srila Bhaktivinoda um already had a calling to present somehow to the language of the West. In his first book he wrote in English. And he actually wrote some book about the teachings of Lord Chaitanya and he sent it in the year 1896. This was the verse year of Srila Prabhupada. And he said, uh, Bhaktivinoda sent that book to many universities and professors in Canada and I think US also. Yeah, Canada, one of the McGill University. Yeah, 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 yeah. So it was quite interesting, some sadhu in India. And Bhaktivinoda is maybe especially dear also to the Western devotees because he stepped out of an orthodox tradition very much and he wanted to be innovative and he had many Gaudiya Vaishnavas that were brought up in a very orthodox Hindu culture they never had the, the perspective much further but our Srila Bhaktivinoda even before he became a Gaudiya Vaishnava he, he really couldn't adjust to the monism of Shankara, so he felt more attracted to Christianity. And he even studied Emerson. Uh, he was an American transcendentalist. And Toro, they were already in the 19th century they were studying Bhagavad Gita so and he you know he was close to many Western thinkers and approaches so that's why he you know he, his mood and his um, way of presenting bhakti was far far outside just the Hindu orthodoxy, and we, I personally am so grateful to Srila Bhaktivinoda Thakur. And he <coughs> had interreligious ideas very strongly. He mentioned, you know, 100 years before the Second Vatican Council where the Catholic Church approved that actually Protestants might not go to hell. <laughs> so it's quite... Uh, this was a new thought 
because in the in the 19th century in the Middle Ages, spiritual traditions were completely separate. They were not intermingling much. But for a, a visionary and for an amazing soul like Bhaktivinoda very naturally embracing the spirit of Mahaprabhu, this was like very clear that it has to be like this. So I'm very thankful that today Maharaj will speak something about our dear, dear Bhaktivinoda Thakur. ज्ञानतिमिरंदस्याजनमजनशलाकयचाक्षुरमलितमजनतस्मेश्रीगुडवेनमहनामश्रेष्ठमनोमापिसच्छिकुत्रमत्रासरूपमरूपमचाक्या
वृंदे मस्ते वृंदेर्मस्ते श्री सचिनंदन गौरहरि की जय श्री हरिनाम प्रभु की जय श्री श्री गौर गदाधर जी की जय श्री श्री राधा गोविंद जी की जय आबिर बाप महोत्सव तीति श्री ठाकुर भक्त विनोद की जाय गौर भक्त वृंद की जाय गौर प्रेमान गुड मॉर्निंग प्रणाम थैंक यू सो मच कृष्ण चांद्र प्रभु फॉर योर इंट्रोडक्टरी वर्ड्स uh which is very nice to hear you because many of the things that I I want to share today somehow Krishna Chandra just gave a trailer of that <laughs> so that's that's nice that shows also the alignment of hearts and inspiration in relation to a figure like Bhaktinath Thakur and I especially appreciate that his beginning statements about how mm, one will love krishna and everything in relation to him but also how that's also true in the reciprocation no and how he worships loves the devotee and whatever is in relation to him no like krishna like bhagavan is saying in in the bhagavatam ham bhakta paradi no hi ashtantra idvadi jo sadvir grashta hridayo bhaktair bhakta jana priha so the last line he's saying first bhagavan is saying I have no independence I'm totally under the control of my devotee full humility full vulnerability and that's bhagavan in in vaikuntha somehow so what to speak if krishna mahaprabhu will to say the same thing how much more <laughs> strong will be those words so to say and then he will say not only my devotee is so loved for me but even he who is the devotee of my devotee see he who is somehow connected to my devotee I'm also like pure partial biased in that direction. So so that's our good fortune verse basically. Now Bhagavan's partiality toward bhakti is our great fortune. That's somehow how we can explain our own situation here. So in a few minutes let's give a few a little, little moment of unfolding. So <clears throat> So I really appreciated that and, and how Krishna Chandra Prabhu concluded. So in this way, being Bhakti Nathakur, who he is, being so loved and close to the divine couple, there are two manifestations here, especially Golgadhar also. So we'll talk today, very intimate connection between Golgadhar and Bhakti Nathakur. So as, as close and loved as he is, if we somehow make our best attempt to gain some proximity to such a soul will be entering to the domain of the merciful glance that the divine couple will pour on bhaktinotaku will be just one speck of dust nearby in the air and we will be part of that glance and our whole life will become justified our existence can become justified so to say we have to justify our existence somehow or other <laughs> exactly we exist and there is some purpose in that some potential and we have to see that 
properly justified. That's our daily attempts in sadhana. So, so we are very, very fortunate to belong to what Bhakti Siddhanta will call the Bhakti Not Paribar, which is a very sweet way of addressing our species, so to say. <laughs> no, Paribar means family. So he will say, we belong to the family of, of Bhaktivinoda. No, we are under the banner, under his banner, under his shelter, under his conception, under his mood. Uh, and somehow, of course, as his representatives, we are expected to represent that, to embody that in one way or another. So the inspiration for today came to for me to share a few words or and a few reasons why I'm personally like quite inclined toward Bhaktivinotakur. A fan of Bhaktivinotakur, so to say. <laughs> it's my personal perspective, no? but which one can take their own ways. They will, I mean all of us should become fans of Bhaktivinotakur for our own reasons. <laughs> you don't have to copy paste mine, but I like to share a few of them today from my personal perspective and experience. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah, we call wave also in Spanish. We can do it. No problem. That will be a new way of saying kijai, <laughs> a contemporary kijai. <laughs> and somehow enter into the wave of bhakti. not dhara. Sometimes this is the expression. Dhara means Currents, no. So bhakti not dhara is a current that is flowing in a certain direction in a particular way, and also has waves inside. No? So <laughs> we are praying to be, to be to swim eternally into that current as well. So where to start? Uh, I would say something that personally really inspired me a lot from bhakti not was to. To know about his life, his life story, his unfolding, so to say, if you want to call it like that. No, there is a very interesting book, which is not a book; it's more like a letter that he wrote to Lalit Prashad, one of his sons, which is called Swalikita Jivani. You may have heard about that, or probably you have not heard about that because. That's a letter that is basically forbidden in, in a few places. <laughs> no, no, I know. That's why I'm talking. That's why I'm talking about it here. <laughs> I know that nobody will feel like Krishna Chandra is forbidding us about it. He never told us. No. So this is a letter that Bhaktivinotaku wrote to one of his sons, narrating basically his life. It's like a autobiographical letter, which is a pretty long letter. It's not just a few pages. It's almost like a book. Mm -hmm. He narrates his whole journey, so to say, unfolding as this Christian Chanda was mentioning, you no, know, having affinity toward Christianity as part of as part of his journey before being officially converted to Gaudiya Vaishnavism and, and even sharing some of his previous life habits, so to say, you no, know, like he is eating meat and things like that, which for some I've seen some practitioners that can be a shocking situation or difficult to accommodate. No? And, and, to, and in that direction, I mentioned that in some 
groups from the back to not far apart, this book is not allowed or is not recommended, at least, because somehow it may put Bhaktino Thakur in a relative light for some. That's it. For me, it adds charm and inspiration. It's not putting Bhaktino Thakur as something less, but it, it brings him closer to me. I can connect with his journey, not because I'm comparing myself to Bhaktino Thakur, but somehow we need this type of references, journey references that we can relate to. And in this connection comes a point that I know that sometimes it's also, we, we were talking these days, I think with Krishna Chandra, with somebody, about this idea that sometimes it is said that all the gurus in our tradition are Nitya Siddhas, or eternal associates of Bhagavan, eternal liberated, coming from the spiritual world, who have never been uh, under the influence of Maya Shakti, let's say. And of course, here I'm not trying to say who is an Itisida and who is not an Itisida, because to begin with, we cannot know who is an Itisida. We have not an Itisida thermometer. Uh, like this is the process to know if someone is an Itisida or not. Um, it shouldn't be. A, my point is, if we are concerned that if someone is a Sida but not an Itisida, oh, that's less. Uh, that's our own dualistic mind creating problems. Again, someone asked once, Shela Prabhupada, who is higher? Again, this question, who is higher? <laughs> Niti Siddha or Sadhana Siddha? He said the, the important word there is Siddha, <laughs> which means perfect. But even interestingly, in our tradition, we find Acharyas, like ours, saying Guru can be a Need to see the guru can be sadhana siddha, or in some cases maybe the guru may not even be siddha, maybe an advanced sadhaka, and that's not necessarily speaking less about that. So my point is, although I, here I'm not in our tradition, generally we will look upon Bhakti Thakuras and need to see that the way his life unfolded allows us for another type of approach in which we can connect with experiences he went through because also understand this implication if the guru is an see that means he or she just in case <laughs> has never been in touch with material experience so to say so in other words that person is not able to empathize with the experience you are going in that situation so i don't know how much you want that <laughs> Or how much you, we need someone who can relate fully to our experience and can know what we are going through and can guide an assistant from that. So I'm presenting this idea so we can realize, okay, that the guru is not a need to see that it's not a problem. It, it, on the contrary. Hmm? Because again, if we start with this idea, only the guru has to be only need to see that it's a similar form of Racism, like we talk this day. Everyone has to be a manjari. Every guru has to be an itisida. It's like of this kind of ego competition. And my guru is an itisida. So the conclusion is I'm the best. At the end of the day, it's how one's ego trying to push there. So, so again, for me, it was very, very inspiring to see the life of Bhaktino Thakur, whether someone wants to consider him itisida, sadhana, siddha. I'm not here to 
impose that on anyone. But my point is, his life story is very inspiring. Gives hope again. It is we can relate to so many of those stages. If all the gurus are always need to see that we cannot, we don't have stories to relate to. So to see because they were always there. So that's the beginning thing that comes to my mind in connection to why I'm a fan of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, so to say. Also something interesting, again, this is maybe more personal to my personal experience is that, as you may know, <clears throat> there were certain, and of course there may be different versions of this, but there were certain dynamics between Bhaktivinoda Thakur and his Diksha Guru. Vipin Bihari Goswami. Some documents may say even that Bhaktivinoda Thakur was rejected by his guru. Some say that there was some distance that both agreed would take. There's not like a definite maybe opinion on that, although I've heard some documents were there and so on. But my point is, Bhaktivinoda Thakur is Bhaktivinoda Thakur. <laughs> so what we were talking yesterday, no? even if your guru, like with Bali Maharaj and Sukracharya, even if your guru rejects you or curses you, or this example of Prishadra in the Bhagavatam, if you are sincere, there is nothing that can't stop you, basically. No, Krishna won't interrupt the advance of, a, of any sincere soul, basically. If you're a sincere soul, want to reach the goal, Krishna will be there to facilitate that in every world. So again, that's a little bit more connect to my own personal experience and journey. But, and I'm, again, not comparing myself with Bhaktivinoda but somehow finding references that, that are given hope and inspiration. Mm -hmm. Another interesting thing that is inspiring for me, although I'm not in that particular situation, is the fact that Bhaktivinoda Thakur remained as a grihasta most part of his life. And giving that reference, because as we talk these days, at least in my opinion nowadays, not Gaudiya Vaishnavism, and probably not only Gaudiya Vaishnavism, but it's a little bit overtly like emphasizing asceticism and renunciation and placing this idea that if you were us, if you were suffering, you are necessarily more advanced than someone who doesn't wear suffering. Something like that. No? And if you are especially a sannyasi, I mean, minimum you are a pure devotee. <laughs> Probably need to see that also, but at least pure devotee. <laughs> so you can imagine how beautiful one ton baggage you receive as a sannyasi when people start to over idealize you inside when such a way. <laughs> And the problem is when you buy into that and start to play the game, so to say, okay, they see me as superhero. I have to be a superhero for the society at every moment. So they they, they cannot see my vulnerability, my struggle, my humanity. I have to remain Superman. And even I have to believe myself that I am Superman. So give that sequence a few years and you have a very... Alienated. Yeah, dysfunction, dysfunctional, alienated scenario. In the name of being a superhero, a savior, developing all this like savior complex or, or, or whatever. No? So back to Notagoras Egrihasta is showing like relax, so to say, no, like you don't need to be a superhero and that's the only way. And if you are not there, you are doing something wrong for sure. If you are in, in family life, you are in the, the dark well, 
Sorry. <laughs> I mean, you can have a dark well in family life, but you can also have a dark well of monastic life. <laughs> if you have, if you use monastic practices as an evasive device to run from your own self, to run from your individuation, from facing your own vulnerability and brokenness, we can speak in terms of the dark well of monastic life. So whether monastic life of, or married life can be a dark well or can be a very enlightening place, can be an ashram. Ashram means shelter. So Bhakti Notaku remained most of his life in the Grihastha ashram, so to say in the shelter of family life. And he found that all perfection was attainable from that social position, so to say. That's what the Bhagavatam is saying. The famous verse, Gyane Prayasamodapasya, eventually says, Stanestita. Stanestita means remaining in whatever social position you are, you engage in bhakti and you attain perfection, basically. Sarva Dharma Parityaja basically means the same. <laughs> Do away with all Barnashram considerations and embrace bhakti from whatever you are. And Bhakti Nathakur did that to the point that he he found Golok in his house, as exaggerated as that may sound. He said that literally. If you study his Sharanagati, he says that. He says, Ye dina grihe deki grihete Golokahai. No? So he's saying basically, whenever a devotee engages in bhajan, that person at home, that home becomes Golok. Spiritual world. Yeah. Golok means spiritual world. So your, your house has the potential to be the spiritual world. So there's no need to go somewhere else, so to say. Because sometimes I've seen devotees with this idea, okay, I'm married, but at some point I have to take sannyas. I'm doing this, and at, but at some point I have to leave all this. I'm still too much thinking about rejecting. At some point I have to reject. And leaving the present moment thinking, this is rejectable. Instead of, Embracing the present situation and opening themselves to, to bhakti. Connectable. Yeah. Yeah. We are about connection, not rejection. Yoga means connection, not rejection. No. And bhakti yoga means to connect everything or connect with everything through love. Have one quote here I want to share with you in this connection from Bhakti Nautakur, from his Harinam Chintamani. Just to make the point clear, in case some doubt still remains. So he says, I'll read slowly. There is no hard and fast rule for a devotee who has taken complete shelter of the holy names. <clears throat> there is no hard rule to either live at home or live in the forest. Because if the house is more favorable for the cultivation of the holy names, then that is better than the renounced order of life. So basically he's saying, we had taco one and taco, no? Sadahari yeah. Whether in the forest, no? You are all Banvasis here, forest residents, mountain dwellers. <laughs> if that's favorable for your bhajan, forest kijai. <laughs> and, and, and if the home family dynamics are favorable to someone else's bhajan, then you have to from Kijai. No? Again, it's, this is not about being married or being single, it's about 
bhakti, practicing bhakti from the best possible platform. So, so Bhakti Nautakur, again, his very life example was given that speaking for itself in that connection. Something that I also like a lot about Bhakti Nautakur is his, what I may like to, I like to call like trans-institutional commitment. <laughs> so, he was... She's asking what exactly that means. I'm going to explain it now. Okay. <laughs> so, technically speaking, Bhaktivinoda Thakur didn't belong to any institution. At that time, there were no Gaudiya institutions. As we conceive now of an institution or of a mission. Nowadays, sometimes that happens. No? It happens to me many, a few times. I'm in the street and meet the devotee. So, which mission do you belong to? <laughs> that's basically if not the first question that's the second maybe what's your name which is your mission <laughs> huh? and what's what's your they are asking <laughs> yeah. sounds sounds reasonable <laughs> yeah like the pronoun mantra because i i don't understand german but i know she's asking you which is our mission probably and I would say you use the word mission also for not only an institution, a heart institution, but a life mission. So I think you have to connect, to keep in mind, mission first and foremost means, means what's my mission, inner mission. Like the famous pranam mantra offered by Narutam Das Thakur to Rupa Goswami, Sri Chaitanya Manovishtam, Stapitam Yena Bhutale. No, like... Speaking about the desire in the mind of Mahaprabhu and how Rupa Goswami established it in the world. So in connecting these two things, the inner desire of Mahaprabhu, the inner mission, took the form of an outer lineage, but that's in connection to the mission, internal mission. So if you have asked Bhakti Nautakur, what which mission do you belong to? Maybe he will say, have say prayer. <laughs> And of course, we can say Gaudiya Sampradaya in a more wider way, Gaur Paribar. We will say Bhakti, not Paribar. Uh, but it's, I think it's important not to, not to over-identify over if we belong to a certain institution, which I'm not against institutions here, but those have their pros and cons, as you can imagine. Prabhupada Bhakti Siddhanta was the one who somehow took Bhakti not spirit and made that even more concrete in the form of Hard institutions, Gaudiamat, and so on. But Bhakti Nautakur were, were, was more about in his time, Namahata program, and decentralized, so to say, spreading of the teaching in a localized way, in a personal way, like trying to keep not too big groups, so to say, but like small different constellations where people will have close, intimate connection and accompanying, supporting each other, which for me is very important. It's radically personal. <laughs> uh, and again, the commitment is trans-institutional. It's not that I'm committed to an institution. I'm committed to an ideal. I'm committed to an inner mission. I'm committed to certain hearts. Uh, as, I, as I put in my book, I, I, you cannot join an institution. You can only join a heart. 
that sometimes happens to be beating in a certain institution. <laughs> so you end up in a certain institute, but you are actually joining the heart of that person that beats in a similar, that makes your heart beats in a way that makes your own heart beat. So you are joining that. Maybe there may be some institutional context, but that's like secondary. It's not like primary. The institution first, the person second. Huh? Because that sometimes happens. Sometimes the consideration is what serves better the institution. Um, according to that, we adjust the people. But the people has to be the one to be first and honored and served. And the institution has to be facilitating that personalism. If not, it's impersonalism, in my opinion. <laughs> Anyhow, it's a long topic. I may go in another direction. So that's something else in connection to Bhakti Notakur. Hmm? His transinstitutional commitment, so to say. His. And in connection to that, also Bhakti Notakur uh, criticized his own tradition in a healthy way. Like if you pay attention, almost every one of our acharyas did. Bhakti Siddhanta also. Not criticizing the essence of the tradition, but the external condition in which sometimes certain parts of our community may find themselves in and the need for upgrade. For example, when Bhagno Thakur spoke about the Apasampradayas or, or heterodox versions of the lineage, also that, that will imply so by, by pointing at that, he was showing there is potential deviation in any lineage. The lineage can start in a certain way and end up being so many other things. And also in us. That's what I was going to say. The Apasampradaya begins in our own hearts and minds, basically. Uh, we can belong to a very authorized Sampradaya, but we can be leaving that, some, that belonging in an Apasampradayic way. <laughs> Uh, we may be misrepresenting a bona fide lineage in an apasampradayic deviate way. I like very much a quote from Bhakti Nottakur he mentioned in one of the Sajan Toshani, one of his magazines he will publish. And he said, I have it here because I quoted that also in my book. Those who have been entrusted with the responsibility of being leaders in the Gaudiya Sampradaya should try to remove all anarthas from their Sampradaya. So again, it's not that the, the essence of the Sampradaya has anarthas, because the essence of the Sampradaya is Mahaprabhu's heart. But the current condition of the lineage may end up expressing, starting from us, again, as Krishna Chandra Prabhu says, it's not about pointing outside and throwing stones at outsiders, be, belongs at home. So, but the duty of someone representing the Sampradaya is to uproot, so to say, to do the uprooting of the weeds at any particular time. Mm -hmm. And there's place for that. There is this place for constructive criticism, even of one's own tradition, out of love for the tradition. Uh, if you analyze the life of any great prophet, even like Jesus or others, like they will 
probably criticized the, the, the condition of their tradition the most, but they were the ones who loved the tradition the most. So because they loved that so much, they dared to criticize from the place of love. No? I think there is a quote from Abraham Lincoln. He will say something like, he who has a heart to help. How do you say? You know the quote? Well, basically, he who has a heart to help can has a right to criticize something like that. So, so, so we 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 have to remain non-conformist, so to say. I'm not saying just rebellious, but non-conformist. Can I share a paragraph from my book in this connection? Yes. Yeah. One second. I brought it here. This time I brought it. Yeah. So, just one small, short. It says, a healthy nonconformist is not righteous, angry, resentful, or interested in accusing others of being wrong. And through that, proving himself right. Now, that's not a healthy nonconformist. Healthy nonconformist seeks a conversation where we dare to express with love and concern. How certain things may not be accurate. How certain things may not be up to date. <coughs> or how certain things may not be holding sufficient depth. And there is a very necessary place for that. <clears throat> so Bhakti Notakur had this type of stance. So that's a personal level very inspiring for me. Again, not being a rebel without a cause, <laughs> but being committed enough as to say those things that can improve our offering as a collective. <clears throat> also, some something else that is very inspiring that Krishna Chandra Prabhu mentioned is Bhaktivinoda Thakur's interaction with modernity, no? with, the, with, with the Western mind. I mean, he himself was raised as a as a British, so to say, in India. So he he had that particular. He was exposed to that way of thinking so to say no and he had correspondence with Thoreau and Emerson and the American transcendentalists uh, which all that is for me connected also to the need as we were talking the other day to the constant need to find a new language to express these ancient truths mm -hmm. and how to remain relevant as a tradition we need to always find a proper language to refer to to refer to a reality that is always unfolding. Mm -hmm. Try to understand this point. No? 
transcendence, the heart of God is always unfolding, always evolving. So we need to keep the pace of that. We need to know how to express and explain and refer to that in ways that are like are transmitting this constant evolution of reality. It's not that this is the only way to speak about it for the next 10,000 years or for the next age. There's only one way. Reality is ever unfolding. So we need an ever unfolding language to try to say something about that. So we need to remain contemporary in our language, not only to the times we are living, but only also remain contemporary to God's own unfolding. <laughs> As I like to say, Krishna is always becoming more Krishna. It's not that Krishna is one single thing that is always the same and never evolves. Remember what we say recently. Krishna is becoming every day more beautiful. He cannot stop that current. And Krishna means the all beautiful. So if Krishna becomes more beautiful, means Krishna becomes more Krishna. So we have to become more ourselves to keep up with Krishna's becoming more Krishna. Krishna is the supreme personality of Godhead. We have to develop the supreme personality of our own selves <laughs> to relate to the supreme personality of Godhead. So Bhakti Notaku very beautifully showed this dynamism in the way he will think of Krishna consciousness, in the way he will present the tradition in a very nuanced way, in a very dynamic way, and in a very deep way. Again, not only like, let's adjust the language to reach more people and fill the temple, like a marketing strategy or something. No, no, let's understand that there is a constant moving of things and we are to keep changing. No? The love life of everything is changing. It's funny because... Spiritual life is all about change, but many times people come to spiritual life and they want just to settle there. I receive my set of absolutes and perfect knowledge, so I don't have to change. Now I know the answer to every question. I'm saved. I have the right to condemn those who are not in my elite. <laughs> and that's it. Nothing to change. Everything is perfect. Complacency, mediocrity, in the name of the highest, more changing dynamic thing, actually. <laughs> so Bhakti Notaku was very, very revolutionary in that way. And as Krishna Chandrapuru mentioned, he, very interestingly, the first time he sent one of his books to the West was the exact same year, 1896, where Bhakti Swami Srila Prabhupada was born. So that's no, no coincidence for us. It's not coincidence, that's God incidence. <laughs> mm -hmm. So he sent to Magwell University in Canada and some other places this book, Sri Chaitanya, His Life and, and Precepts. Yeah. It was funny because some years ago, not funny, it was beautiful. Some years ago, I was talking with one friend of mine and he was in in Godrum, in, in Bhaktan Thakur's place in Godrum, in Navadvip. And uh, and at one point, he, he was there with a group of devotees and another group comes to the place. And, and, and they, were, they were people from the West and they were not Gaudiya Vaishnavs. So he asked them, so who are you? I said, oh, we are all 
students and scholars. Ooh, where are you coming? Yeah, we are coming from Canada. Canada. Oh, scholar from which university? McGill University. They said. No. <laughs> and they they found Bhaktinath Thakur's book, book there, and they were coming now to see the original place from which all that sprouted, so to say. No. So for him, it was like an epiphany, no? like to see this kind of convergence of worlds, so to say, no? from good room to Canada, so <laughs> and how to bridge the gap. Well, that's a big challenge, how to bridge. That's very consuming uh, task. No? How to explain, how to say, Gorga Dada's heart to a Canadian. <laughs> Where to start? How to continue? Where to like? Like sometimes I walk in the street and people ask me, "So, what do you practice?" And I'm like, "What are you about?" That's basically the question. What are you all about? And I'm like, I'm like one hour in anxiety, thinking, "What? Where to begin?" And I'm like, do you have like, I don't know, two three years to hear the answer or something? <laughs> yes. It requires like where to begin, how to continue, and how to continue. So that's a very beautiful task that consumes all your faculties. If you have to think, okay, how do I present the essence of Krishna Bhakti to someone who does have no clue about it? You have to really absorb yourself in that service, in that task. No? So, so that has the potential to be a very absorbing seva. And as we talked the other day, the background of prachar or or spreading the message can be pretty esoteric. No, it's not about just increasing the numbers and getting donations, <laughs> but it's about no, recruiting some servants in the into the for the realm of the highest necessity, as we already mentioned. So something also that comes to my mind in connection to Bhakti Notakura and can I just for that before. Again, sorry? There's one thing. I, yes, I just, of course. There's, um, I have a, an exchange of letters of Shilabakhtin Otaku with a German Indologist, Reinhold Rost. Rost. And it's very, very interesting. You know, this was in 1868. Oh, before the sending of the book. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So they converse by letters, and the German scholar he already knew Sanskrit, you know, and he somehow find this spiritual revolutionary Bhaktivinotaku, and he wrote him very interesting. He said, "Actually, I was very interested, and I wanted to go deeper, but the caste system I found, you know, they rejected me, like, but." Then he, he came to the books and the articles of Bhakti Nathaku and said he's, he wrote in 1868, he wrote Bhakti Nathaku, said, actually, you do a very good service to your own tradition. <laughs> and I found it very interesting that the German scholar writes at that time to Srila Bhakti Nathaku and already in this very appreciative, wow, what do you do? You open it. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Very beautiful. Yeah, and I think it's important that we 
appreciate things like the ones you mentioned because sometimes we may take for granted all these contributions because maybe we were not born into a society that faced the challenges that Bhagno Thakur had to face. So we hear about, oh, he did that, he did that, and this sounds interesting, but we are not traveling in time to actually fully experience the challenges he was facing and how complex that was. So it's important that we take the time to empathize fully <laughs> with the scenario he was seeing. And from that, like, really appreciate, wow, his contribution. And also from that, from that, from that place, ask ourselves, so what's the present challenges now that we as representatives of Bhakti Nautagur have to contribute with? Because it's not just about Bhakti Nauki Jai, Bhakti Nauki Jai, Bhakti Nauki Jai. He will say, okay, enough kijas. Now you do, do say the kijai through your acts. Now <laughs> say kijai through representing me in facing whatever challenges need to be faced in your particular place, time, circumstance, and, and represent that same spirit. Because if not, like sometimes the devotee will say, well, Prabhupada said this, Prabhupada said that. But the question is, what he will be saying now? Some things will be the same. Krishna is still the Supreme Personality of Godhead. <laughs> the soul is eternal and so on. But some other things, he, I'm sure he will say some very different things. And, 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 we, and we are, the point is, but he won't be here saying them. So we are the ones who have to do that. His service in representation of the Parampara. Something that also Krishna Chandra Prabhu mentioned about Bhakti Nautakur is this point of interfaith no? mood he had, no? Interreligious appreciation of other traditions, his own. If you study his Bhagavat lecture, that's like which of, of you have never read the Bhagavat discourse that Bhakti Nautakur gave? Okay. You can raise your hand, no problem. <laughs> it's not a sin not to have done that. I won't be sending any, anyone to hell or anything. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> I, I'm going there. I'm going to go to point on that. So. Okay. So I'm, I'm not forcing any homework on you, but if you are, you are more than invited to read it. Especially today, his appearance day, that may be an interest. We have some version of it for those who, that's a very, this is a, a lecture he gave. So it's not like a long book, it's just a lecture he gave and it's transcribed. The, the Bhagavad, it's philosophy, it's theology, and it's ethics, I think so. So that's very, very revolutionary, very deep, very substantial, very broad, very deep. Yeah. So he <laughs> he expressed a very deep how to say in, in my book I like to call it theological cross pollination no or like cross pollinating no what the bees are doing like going from one flower and then carrying and taking it to the other flower so the point is mm -hmm. cross pollination is a, is a plant event. Fremdbestäubungen auch, so dass es auch, dass keine Tradition nur separat existiert, sondern immer wieder gegenseitig sich auch inspiriert. 
like mm -hmm. implying you can go to the, the flower of another tradition, so to say, as a bumblebee, and take some pollen from that tradition that will nourish your own flower, so to say, that you will be inspired as a Gaudiya Vaishnava but contacting a Sufi or a mystical creature without losing your commitment, your idea, but learning to. Hmm? So I'd like to share a few words from Bhakti Notakur himself that I quoted also here. It's a very beautiful statement in that connection. Krishna Chandra will translate now? Yes. Okay. Which page is it? It's page, thank you, page <laughs> 214 and 215. So Bhakti Notakur said this from Chaitanya Shikshambrita. So he says... If one goes to someone else's place of worship, one should think as follows. These people are worshipping my Lord, but in a different way. Because of my different training, I cannot quite comprehend this system of worship. However, through this experience, I can deepen my appreciation for my own system of worship. The law is only one, not two. I offer respect to the form I see here. And pray to the Lord in this new form that he increases my love for the Lord in his accustomed form. <laughs> Those who do not follow this procedure but instead criticize other systems of worship and show hatred, violence and envy are worthless and foolish. The more, the, the more they indulge in useless quarreling, the more they betray the very goal of their religion. So that's very, for me, very clear, very specific. Very powerful, very deep, and very essence seeker. No? Also, this this another of the famous contributions of Bhakti Tagore, his concept of Saragrahi. Saragrahi Vaishnav. Saragrahi means essence seeker. No? Sara means essence, and Grahi means like to grasp, to grab, like he who only takes the essence. It's a famous example of the swan taking the milk from the mixture. He will say, Saragrahi, you can be a Saragrahi Vaishnav, essence seeker Vaishnav, or you can be a Barabahi Vaishnav. Barabahi means like, like baggage carrier, load carrier, yeah, load carrier. No? Who is carrying the big heavy load of formalism and judging everything according to externals and being dualistic. While the Saragrahi is just taking the essence from every tradition, every person, every situation, 
And of course, he not only spoke about being a Saragrahi, but he embodied that himself. And this Saragrahi spirit also took Bhakti Notaku, which is another feature that I like to highlight, to, to address Shastra in a very dynamic way. Mm -hmm. To address some sections some of, of scriptures in a ways that not everyone were, will address them. Mm -hmm. Like you were mentioning a few minutes ago, Shanti, no? and he mentions, I mean, if you want to have a good shock treatment, you can study Krishna Samhita Bhaktivinotaku. <laughs> if you are too much of a Barabahi, you read Krishna Samhita and hopefully you end up being a Saragrahi after the reading. <laughs> it's a very dynamic treatise when he I don't know, like for example he will speak about the descriptions of hell in Shastra are not to be taken literally I don't know how many there are in, in English in German I don't know to begin with there are not and in English I don't think there are that many I, you have one here? Any here? Yeah, there are not that many, but so there are not two options to recommend. And I, I don't recall who were the translators of those. So we can see which one is available here. I have a PDF if someone will like. Uh, or he will like, for example, um, as we were talking the other day, when he speaks about the Asuras that Krishna killed in Braj. He will describe them in terms of an artist, no? like representing something, which for me is very interesting because, of course, in one sense, the suras, there were real people that were killed by Krishna in the Lila. It's not, they are not just like a concept, no? a metaphor. But also, you can address the Shastra from a metaphorical level as well. There are different degrees to understand Shastra. For example, generally there are three levels you can address scripture. You could say literal, allegorical, call it like that, allegorical, or esoteric. No? So literal means literal. You are not drawing like a teaching, like for example, you take everything like as it is being said, if Krishna is, is calling Arjuna in the Gita, I don't know, Purusha Vyagra, which means tiger among men, a literal reading will think, okay, Arjuna is walking in four no, legs and has like tiger skin. He's a tiger among men. That's literal. <laughs> but you know, that's not the way to understand it. You have to go to the allegorical or, or like interpretive approach which now this means that due to his courage in battle like he's a tiger among men or these sections now when the, the suras are killed back to notaku is resorting to this allegorical in reading like this means this this symbolizes this like this is like an archetype for that it's not the ultimate meaning, the esoteric meaning, when you are participating in the Leela and living the excitement of Krishna killing Bhakasur. That's another level of addressing those descriptions, which is esoteric. You are participating in that. But to reach that level, there is a way, there is a place for addressing a scripture in an interpretive way or allegorical, archetypal way, 
I don't know. For example, Krishna's lifting Govardhan. I mean, that's not a metaphor. That happened. But also you can take, okay, Krishna's lifting Govardhan means Krishna is giving shelter in the midst of the storm. We are going through inner storms. Unlike the Rajavasis, they went to Krishna taking full shelter, asking for shelter, and also open that the shelter that Krishna may provide can take any form he wants. Because sometimes we may go to Krishna and say, Krishna, give me shelter, but we already have an idea of how the shelter should look like. Or Krishna, give me mercy, and we already know how the mercy should look like exactly. So that's not the way to be, to pray for mercy or for shelter. No. If you already have figured out everything so perfectly, why you need to ask someone else? No. But sometimes we do that. We pray to Krishna. I like to say, oh, Krishna, give me mercy. Give me mercy. I need mercy. Your mercy. But again, with some idea of how that should look like. So then Krishna replies and sends mercy in another form, in the form we need. <laughs> And we quickly will go to him and pray again. Krishna, give me mercy. Give me mercy to protect me from this. And Krishna will say, but that was my mercy. No. You asked for mercy and gave you mercy. Now you are praying to me to protect you from the mercy I gave you before. So it doesn't make sense. <laughs> so in this Govardhan Lila, my point is the Vrajabhasis are going to Krishna for shelter, but they have no idea how the shelter will look like. They're not thinking Krishna will take a heel and lift it for seven days with a small finger. That was totally unexpected. So they were open that the shelter may take any form. And it did. And it ended up in the greatest blessing. It began as the worst curse. The whole village is about to die in dress rain. And it ended up in the greatest blessing. One week of uninterrupted darshan of Krishna without blinking for a week. That never happened ever before or after. So again, we, you can take all this, extract these lessons from the Lila. This is a way of addressing the Shastra in a more interpretive way. The, the ultimate level of participation is you are there, leaving it, all the bhavas, all the emotions. So Bhakti Thakur presented also this no, in a very unique way with the examples I gave. No? This section is not to be taken literally. This section is not to, this, this can be read in a more nuanced way, representing an artist and so on and so forth. So, so that's important for us to, to address Shastra with, with sensitivity and with common sense. Like I shared something today, Rupa Goswami, he says in the Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, when he describes the Uttam Adhikari, the highest devotee, he says, the Uttam Adhikari is Shastra, Shastra Yukta Chaniya Punaha. So the, the, the Uttam Adhikari is Shastra Nipun, which means he's expert in the scriptures, but he's quick to clarify Yukta Nipun. Yukta means logic. But logic, not, not so limited to the Nyaya system of logic, but logic in terms of common sense. Huh? To make it understandable. Yeah, yeah. And, and to approach the scripture, sorry. To, to approach the scripture in a 
yeah, realistic, commonsensical, sensitive way. Like Krishna using the word yukta in the Bhagavad Gita 6, 7. Yukta hara, bihara, siya, yukta, chastasyaka. No? To, to do things in a proper way, like yukta vairagya. Yukta means proper, correct. So that's important. He's saying he's an expert in Shastra, but expert in Shastra also means expert in addressing Shastra in a commonsensical way. Because sometimes we can end up using Shastra to present things that are not very much logical. They're pretty rational, illogical, against our deepest intuitions and once our our own consciousness. So, yeah, that's an important point. What else? What else? Well, I've heard some people. Do you have a few minutes? Yeah. Do we have eternity on our side? Eternity is in our favor. So I've heard some people saying, well, those things like Bhakti Nautakur say that you are praising now, Maharaj, were say mostly in this Bhagavad speech, Krishna Samhita, those were his initial works. And I've heard that sometimes it's kind of, in time he changed. In time he kind of, he stopped talking in that way. So... Even if that's the case, which one could make a case of studying his works and seeing that eventually he em emphasized other types of things, that doesn't mean that he's disagreeing with what he said before. It's just that he, in, his, in the progression he's showing, he's becoming inclined in a certain direction, but the things he mentioned before were like a very good foundation for all the things that then he went deep into. And it doesn't mean that, again, because he's not talking about that in his last book, it doesn't mean that he rejected that. It means that he integrated all that into the equation, into the situation he is now. No? So I will take it like that. Again, like, for example, Bhakti Notagra in some works, he will be talking about other traditions, like what I quoted. We'll be talking about whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, but then how did he change? Eventually, many of his writings became more and more esoteric and more and more focused in Lila and his eternal service. So someone may say, that's the real Bhaktivinotaku. No? All the other things were in the, his stage when he was, before being converted to Vaishnavism or in the beginning. So we don't take that much importance to that. We will, I mean, I will say, not, not we, I will speak for me. <laughs> I prefer to see, you know, those things are, are equally valid, belong to that particular stage of unfolding and are showing that if you want to reach to that ultimate place he was expressing his antelila, so to say, those other things are to be there to be important to build a very important foundation, so to say. If you want to put it like that, yeah, specific, specific, but doesn't mean that he was rejecting mm -hmm. the yeah. the original breath, yeah. because sometimes it can be thought like that, no? like he changed his mind about that. No, no, he just became naturally drawn, called into specificity, into something very specific, 
worship of Gorgadhar and Godroom in his last moment. But it doesn't mean that he's rejecting everything else. It's just how he's being called. It's like Mahaprabhu. Mahaprabhu, you can see the same sequence in Mahaprabhu. Before becoming a Vaishnava in the Lila, <laughs> becoming a Vaishnava, preaching in a certain way, practicing, and eventually becoming more and more specific, entering Gambira, never to return. <laughs> but it doesn't mean that everything he said outside of the Gambira is not, not important. Yeah. And probably it's more important for us what he said before Gambira than what he said inside, in our present stage. That's my point. To reach our own Gambira, something like that. <laughs> so we, we have to also learn to relate to that. Hmm? Yeah. Can you explain to me what you understand under the word esoteric? Yeah. Esoteric. Yes. What you what you mean by that word? What you mean? Because I have a very yeah. What do you understand no, by esoteric? I, I, I want to know what. You <laughs> I also want to know what you understand. She doesn't want to say. I think she wants to re-overwrite her previous understanding. Yes. <laughs> I think you said, you said, you gave an example on literal, allegorical, and then you said esoteric as participation of the Lila. Yeah, that again, if you refer to, if you refer to esoteric, in connection to what I was saying in that, yeah, that was my point. Because you can speak about that word in different contexts. But in the three ap approaches to the scripture, I mentioned that the esoteric will be, you are reading the, whatever, Lila, like I was saying, and you are really taking part of that. You are experiencing it in, in that participatory way. So, I mean, Little is Mukia Vetti and the allegorical is yeah. I'm not referring to specific Sanskrit like categories that have been mentioned. I, I, I cannot recall exactly what Bhaktivinoda Thakur, which terms he used. I also I will say that I wouldn't limit Bhyanjana Briti to, to the second method, so to say, because in, es in esoteric descriptions and participation that's full of Vyanjana Vritti. Vyanjana uh, means like suggested also, like implied meaning, uh, like indirect speech. That's so much present into the esoteric narrative, so to say. Yeah, technically speaking, yeah, that has, the esoteric has to, you have esoteric and you have exoteric. So exoteric has more to do with external, something toward outside, and esoteric has to do more with a mystical, internal, contemplative experience, so to say. A few more points before concluding on Bhakti Notakura is that something that comes to mind is also I really love his emphasis and development of the notion of Saranagati also. He, he wrote the whole song, which is a long one, 
and he tries to make the importance of this principle of surrender as the foundation on the door like the door sometimes we describe it as the station which the drama of the lila is performed lila is like a drama where there's dance and performance but there needs a very heavy stage to support such strong emotion things happening so this stage the wood of the stage have to be made in in, in Sara, made of saranagati the wood has to be saranagati <laughs> and it's important for us to to constantly unfold what surrender means to us so we can understand it in a healthy way also because sometimes surrender is presented as like surrender no like don't think don't have critical discernment just surrender and that's not surrender <laughs> or like a forced imposition instead of a the most voluntary decision we, we take. So I, I re really appreciate Bhaktinath Thakur's contribution in not only in Saranagati's song, he wrote so many songs. And his songs are a whole contribution unto itself. And something that we mentioned these days also, as you may remember, is and, and with here we are reaching more the last stages of Bhaktinath Thakur's life somehow. Is Bhaktinath Thakur's emphasis on on identifying with the need of service. No? This example that we narrated of Kurukshetra, that he said, I would like to leave my body in Kurukshetra, remember? In connection to Radha's being in her most needy moment in front of Krishna, and I want to enter that point and serve, serve the moment of the greatest necessity of my mistress, so to say. That's a very, very unique contribution that I appreciate from Bhaktinath Thakur, how much he's like <clears throat> making that point, no? identifying with, with the need of seva no? and, and make, developing our whole abhiman, our whole sense of identity out of giving ourselves in, in that particular direction that I can contribute the most, so to say. And of course, in that connection, we can connect that need of Radha in Kurukshetra, of course, with the need of of Radha in Gorlila as Gadadar, as we spoke this day, how much need Krishna has as Mahaprabhu, and how much need the four Radha has as Gadadar by identifying with the need of Mahaprabhu. And that's why Bhaktivinoda Thakur is diving so deep in Gorlila. No? I think that's one of his main gifts to us, no? Bhaktivinoda Thakur giving us Gorlila. Sorry, I talked too, too quickly. <laughs> Krishna Und wenn Shivati Radhika zu Gadadhar wird, ist, sein, ist er in einem gleichen Maß noch verletzlicher, noch bedürftiger. Er braucht noch mehr. Und Bhaktivinoda Thakur in seiner unendlichen Seva-Haltung vertieft er sich deswegen komplett ins Gorilla. Das ist für ihn die Essenz. Weil Seva möchte sich immer vertiefter schenken. Und wo kann ich mich noch mehr schenken? 
Schimmer, die Radika braucht mich 24 Stunden, aber wenn sie als Kadaver kommt, braucht sie mich noch mehr. Oder mit Rufsinn wieder hin, um da noch intensiver zu dienen. Das ist das Explain. Ja, ja. So, I think that's one of the. That's one of the. Ja, was ich jetzt mit Kurukshetra zusammen habe. Das haben wir, als er von Gorgadadha gesprochen hat, vor zwei Tagen. Hat er doch das lange erklärt, wie Shimati Radhika nach Kurukshetra geht und dort so leidet, weil Krishna ist plötzlich so anders. Und dann. Für Shimati Radhika muss es so wehtun. Bhaktinotakur sagt dann, ich möchte ihr dort dienen, in diesem Kurukshetra, weil dort braucht es am intensivsten. Ja, ich möchte dort dienen. So, from both those perspectives, no? what he's saying in, in connection to Kurukshetra and his service to Gorgadadar, in one sense, the principle is the same, identifying with that extreme service necessity. So in connection to 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 Gaur Lila again, that's one of the main contributions of Bhakti Nautaku. That's what he's called sometimes called the seven Goswami by us. As, as, as the six Goswamis give gave us Krishna Lila in such depth and detail. Bhakti Nautaku gave us Gaur Lila in such depth and detail. Not only by rediscovering the place of birth, the yoga pith, the place where Mahaprabhu was born. By writing profusely about that, he wrote so much. But again, by, by giving us this depth of conception of what Mahaprabhu is about, Navadvip is about, and of course, in connection to Gorlila, one of the main contributions of Bhaktinathakur is Gor Gadadhar specifically. Gor Gadadhar. No? His very pranam mantra includes this. This point, Namo Bhakti Vinodaya Satchidananda Namine Gora Shakti Swarupaya Rupanoga Varayate. So he is somehow the embodiment of Gora Shakti. Gora Shakti is Galadhar, basically, the Shakti of Gora. Radha is the Shakti of Krishna. So he is the very embodiment of this spirit. <coughs> and he sang so beautifully about Sri Sri Gora Gadadhar. Smara Gora Gadadar Akeli Kalam and so on. On the famous last verse of Godrum Bhajan Upadesh. Remember, just remember Gorgadadar, just follow Gorgadadar, just hear about Gorgadadar, just worship Gorgadadar, and that's the end of the song. Bhakti Nathakur becomes lost and found. He glorifies Godrum and then he says, Just remember, follow, hear about, worship Gorgadadar. And he called in that direction, no? fully, fully. Did he reveal that um, song, his identity in, 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 in the Gaur Lila? Well, in Gaur Lila, the identity will be that of that the sadaka, that the one is showing in his sadaka Lila, but younger. That's how it's described in our tradition. We know that, of course, who he is in the Braja Lilas, Kamala Manjari, he himself has described that. But in Gaur Lila, basically, he is Bhakti not. <laughs> no, that's the idea. No? What's mentioned in our tradition is if you reach perfection, whether you think of someone attaining perfection, in that particular lifetime, that That's why the body is put into Samadhi. Sometimes that's the meaning of Samadhi. They put, the body is put in salt, 
like a way of preserving the body, like indicating in that same body, that same similar form, fully spiritualized, as a younger Brahmin boy, that person is serving Mahaprabhu in the Nityanavadur. So, but generally it is mentioned that you have like 12, 13 years. So sometimes it came to me the idea, it would be nice to get pictures of our acharyas when they were 12, 13 years and put them in the parampara, because in, in the altar generally is the, what's going on in the spiritual world now. No? <laughs> so, so anyhow, we can see how Bhakti Nautaku, just to conclude, since we ended on this high note on, on Gorgadada and how how embedded he was in that worship, in that conception, but at the same time, how broad how broad he was in terms of interfaith dialogue and relating with the West and modernity, breadth no? and depth, no? the connection with Gorlila, the connection with Gorgadada. So Bhaktivinoda was very deeply esoteric in his practice mm, and writings, but also he was not lacking breadth mm, in his outreach, in his sharing with others. So he was showing also, this is possible. No, it's not that you can only be a Bhajananandi, so to say, you can only be a Goshtyanandi. No? Bhajananandi means someone deeply absorbing one's own practice. Goshtyanandi is more connected to interaction with the public, so to say. But the two have to be connected. Indeed, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati once said, the best Bhajananandi is the Goshtyanandi who preaches. Sorry, the best Goshtyanandi is the Bhajananandi who preaches. Like, if you want to share with others, first you have to be somehow Bhajananandi. You have to have an inner life. Yeah. So, yeah, if we engage in some form of outreach, we should have first an inreach. <laughs> if we want to distribute the teachings outside, first those have to be distributed inside of us. <laughs> and that's how Mahaprabhu's movement was created, no? The external movement came from an internal movement in his heart. So something was moving his heart so much that it made him move. Physically, he started to dance and celebrate. And that external movement of his transcendental body created a whole external movement in the form of the lineage. But it all began by something strongly moving his heart. So that's an important lesson for, for those who would like to follow the footsteps of Bhakti Nautakum. So, in this way, Bhakti Nautakur, I mean, the he's kind of the father of our family, if you want to put it like that, the, the Bhakti Not Paribar. And he very quickly established this idea, you know, we have to be deep, we have to be profound, we have, we have to be dynamic, we have to be non-sectarian, we have to be generous with each other, we have to be <laughs> working on our own individuation and so on. So, I think that's, that's a very unique combination that our paribar has and with this i'm not saying we are better than others i'm not creating this type of spirit that goes against bhaktinathakur <laughs> but it's nice to appreciate the particular dna that that is coming to us of all this breadth and all this depth very similar to mahaprabhu's campaign mahaprabhu's campaign is so wide 
but also so deep at the same time. And we should appreciate the two, not one at the cost of the other. And being in such a beautiful family, of course, the last point is, well, okay, the, the, the question that remains is, what I am supposed to offer myself as a member of that family, you know, how to repay back such a gift and how to participate in this beautiful party bar. What can I contribute with my personal existence? How to justify my existence again? <laughs> how to be a living uh, member of the Sampradaya? Because Sampradaya means a living school. No? It's not like a dead thing where everyone is like a museum piece. Everything is alive. So how to be part of this current dhara of aliveness that Bhakti Notaku has brought to the world. So anyhow, a few words trying to, again, on a personal level, share some of my reasons to be a fan of Bhakti Notaku <laughs> and, and, and why I feel that today we have another celebration, like all these other days. Well, which are the reasons to celebrate Bhakti Notakur? So I just touched one point in an infinite line, of course. No? But from my today, a little bit from my personal perspective, so I hope uh, touch your heart somehow and brought to all of us a greater, deeper appreciation of the contribution of Thakur Bhakti. So there are some hands raised. Raised. She was raising the hand since the beginning of my lecture, and I told her, <laughs> "Give me a few minutes, and I finish." I have a small okay. Question. Yeah. The, qu <laughs> the, the question can be small, but the small answer I, I never know. This book nach Kanada geschickt hat, ist das die Lehre von Sri Chaitanya oder ist das wieder ein neues Werk? Ist das Buch, das Bhaktinathaku sent to Kanada, ist das die Teachings von Lord Chaitanya oder ist es ein anderes Buch? I mean, by which book she's referring to, by the teachings of Lord Chaitanya. There are many books almost with the same title. The book is Sri Chaitanya. The book is called Sri Chaitanya, His Life and Precepts. But, but I'm saying it because there are many books which almost have the same name. Teachings of Lord Chaitanya, Life of Sri Chaitanya, Life and Teachings, Life and Precepts, with different authors. That's another one. Yeah, Chaitanya Shikshamta is another one. <laughs> yeah. Okay, finally. I have two questions. One was from the beginning, yes. and one was just now came. Um, that from the beginning was like when you said um, this point Krishna Chandra made, and then you said like that aspect that the Lord reciprocates to the devotees is the Narayana aspect. So what to speak about Krishna and Gorgadatta? 
but I don't understand this because I see like, okay, Gorga Dadar and Radha Krishna are so much absorbed in their Leela and in the love they are getting from the devotees that so a high caliber of uh, path they get and they reciprocate, but then how they can reciprocate with other sadhakas, which are like, uh, like me in a very beginning stage and like uh, this and Narayan, he is like um, not so circumambulated with a high caliber of love. So he has the capacity to reciprocate. So I don't understand that part. Like where, if it is true for Narayan, so what to speak of Krishna? So should we start praying to Narayan that he will reciprocate to us? Es hat am Anfang hat er gesagt, dass Vishnu spricht, oh, ich bin völlig abhängig von meinen Devotis und sie sind mein Ein und Alles. Und dann hat Maharaj gesagt, das spricht über Vishnu. Krishna ist sicher noch viel, viel mehr. Und dann sagt Krishna in Vrindavan und das Gorvida, das sind ja so absorbiert in ihrem Lila, in der spirituellen Welt. Wir, können sie, wir haben sie noch eine Fähigkeit dazu. Narayan ist weniger umgeben von den liebenden Devotis, sie hat vielleicht mehr Kapazität. Man muss sich auf die gefallenen Seelen in dieser Welt noch zurechnen. So I was referring to this verse of the Bhagavatam, chapter 4, 9th canto, Hambakta Paradino, Yasutanda. So there are six verses there. There's a whole sequence, very important section of verses. I think it's 9463 till 68. So those are very important verses, very beautiful ones. And uh, if this is the first one, Maham Bhakta Puradino, Kyashatan Tribaduya, Sadhvir Rastari Dayo Bhaktari Bhakta Janapya. So this is in the context of the Lila with Durvasa Muni and Ambarish Maharaj. Uh, so Durvasa is, as you know, the Sudarshanist. <laughs> running after him everywhere and eventually he reaches Vaikuntha and the point is that it's when Bhagavan is telling him he indirectly starts to say how big of a mistake he made basically <laughs> because he's saying you offended Ambarish you offended my devotee and for me my devotees and then all these verses come <laughs> so the first one he's saying I'm fully controlled by my devotees I don't have the least independence in connection to them. So this is spoken by Vishnu. So my point was, if Narayan is controlled by his devotees, he has no independence, which will be Krishna's version of that same verse? Because he's receiving such a high caliber of love, so how much more he will say, I'm controlled by them. I have no independence. That was my point when I mentioned that. So when Narayan is controlled by um, Shanta and Dasira, mm -hmm. so Krishna is even more controlled. How much that same idea, how much that applies. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that was basically the point of the verse, no? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, yeah. My second question. Yes. Is like okay, um, we mentioned or you mentioned that we are Bhaktivinoda Parivar, and because of this unique interpretation of 
um, by Bhaktivinoda and his um, reformatory thoughts. Um, but why we don't, I mean, also, I'm studying Bhakti Sandarpa and we are um, dealing with the interpretation of uh, Jiva Goswami and his, how he is interpreting Bhagavatam is also very revolutionary and reformatory. So why don't we also consider us, why we do refer to Bhaktivinoda Thakur? Why don't we say like all oh, our six Goswamis? <laughs> and we say like, and Bhaktivinoda Thakur, I mean, it is just common sense and natural to be like a go in the, in the wit and to also question that should be just normal. So why to point out that so much from Bhaktivinoda Thakur? And I mean, Jiva Goswami was also like that. He was also very revolutionary mm -hmm. and he learned so many language to reach the people. And yeah. so you, you understand what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Why? <laughs> The practice of modern Gaudiya Vaishnavas here, you know, how we do parikramas, the whole Navadri parikrama is like everything is from Bhakti Thakur, and how he, like, really in a wonderful way, even extracted, we cannot, no, practically no one ever read. All the Sandarbas. I have hardly seen anyone, <laughs> you know, but he extracted so much essence again and again and made it accessible, like in Jaiva Dharma and like, you know, in, in scriptures and the whole songs, like the essence of all the Vedas, he made like accessible in many, many songs. Many in the Gaudiamata sing also the, the Mangalarati of Bhaktivinoda Thakur and most Gaudiamata. So, like, you know, in the daily practice. But I, I don't, I personally don't think he's just a, a great inspiration, but I would not overemphasize just one person. Okay, sometimes when we speak, it's okay, but we are like grateful to each and every bhakta who helps on our path. And we are extremely thankful to Narottam Das Thakur. There's unlimited personalities. So I, you know, I wouldn't just take one. Thank you. Maybe you can add something. It kind of comes to my mind what I said the other day when I was talking about Godadar Pandit and I said, 
in one sense, we could present each member of the Panchayat that was the most important. But since we were talking about Gadadhar Pandit, we speak about him as the most important. So in a similar way, today we are talking about Bhakti Notakur, and there will be a special emphasis in his glories. But other day we will be talking about Rupa Goswami, and we will talk about us as Rupa Nuga Vaishnavs. When we talk about us, Mahaprabhu will talk about us as Gaudiya Vaishnavs. So my point is, and again, when we are talking about Bhakti Notakur, I mentioned he's also referred to as the seventh Goswami. So with that, we are also establishing a link toward, I mean, he cannot be the seventh Goswami if he's not nourished and sustained by the sixth Goswami. So that naturally take us in that direction. Uh, and I agree with what Krishna Chandra mentions. No, I'm I'm sorry if my presentation may have been interpreted like that. Like I'm because it's not it's not my mode. Like Bhaktinathakur only Bhaktinathakur. He's the only one. He's the best. Everyone else is below him. That wouldn't be tasteful glorification. But it's his day, uh, and I, we are kind of biased towards him today in this particular way. <laughs> But when we want to, when we talk about Jiva Goswami, we have so much to say about him and so many things, similar patterns like the ones you shared in connection to the Thakur and, and so on and so forth. So, so yeah, there is no, that's the art of praise of the sadhus. No, we should praise everyone in a unique way, but without over glorifying. Minimizing. Yeah, without minimizing, minimizing will be an over glorification. If I say Bhakti Thakur is so incredible that all the Goswami, I, we don't care for the Goswami. That, that's not correct. That's not praise to Bhakti Thakur. That's no, 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 it's okay. So, and, and also there is place, of course, for every devotee to feel their personal inspiration. So someone may feel, for me, Bhakti Thakur is the main inspiration. Someone will say, for me, Jiva Goswami. And also there is place for that, like when someone asks Srila Siddhar Maharaj, who is the most important guru? No, the Diksha guru, the Siksha guru, the Purvacharyas, who is the most important guru? He said, the one who is helping you the most. <laughs> and at times can be one, at times can be other. But all of them are working together. That's important to bear in mind. It's not that they're competing with one another. No, The Parampara is like a teamwork. They are serving the same ideal so so yeah basically that that will be the the answer i hope that helps but thank you for the question yeah okay something else before okay. concluding there is time if not i'll ask it tonight today we have yeah whatever whatever you prefer yes okay today we have a q a in the evening Okay, so one one more, and in the evening, yeah. is somehow related to the topic? It's related to Sunday night, so that's why I said I can ask, ask it tonight. I have two. One is related to Sunday night, to what you said, and one is related to what Krishna said. On Sunday night. No, today. So maybe you can ask the question related to today's topic okay. to Krishna Chandra. Okay. And, no, and, and in, the evening, in the evening also? Okay, so we'll conclude here. Just one thing more. Maybe uh, the idea about Bhakti Nautakur, um, maybe he's also the more in the present sadhus are coming 
-hmm. Like the more mm -hmm. we have like an accessibility. We don't have an autobiography mm -hmm. of Jiva Goswami. Mm -hmm. And sometimes traditions tend to like and deis, deisieren. I don't know the English word. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Deify. Deify saints. This is called hagiography. Yeah. This means vergöttlich. Embellishments. Yeah, yeah. They're far, far away, you know, and they have nothing to do with ever, I think. And like what you said, Svajim and Alikita, and, you know, we have more access to more present sadhus, and I think this is an important thing. Sometimes when we have from many, many previous saints, we have some ideas, and this be legenden, the legends. And legends is something a little different. So that's why I, you know, the more in the present someone is coming, that we have more accessibility also. Yes. Thank you for that contribution, important one. And that's a whole different topic in regarding to the hiographies and how to flesh out and separate some of the things that may be actually truth and maybe some literary or emotional way of saying something, but maybe a little bit over the top of what actually happened. <laughs> and acknowledging that without being a problem, no? Because it's just even sometimes a literary style, so to say. It must you have you must have some I don't want to call exaggeration, but some like ex extra ornamentation, no? So yeah, it's it's important. Sri Thakur Bhaktivinoti Habir Bab Mahosaptiti Sri Thakur Bhaktivinoti Sri Sri Gor Gadada Jukiza Sri Sri Radha Govinda Jukiza Harinam Prabhu Kija Gor Bhakta Brinda Kija Gor Pramananda Pancha Kalpata Rubia Shakti Pasandu Vyavacha Patitanam Pavane, if you wish, no way, if you know, and the Koti Vaishnava bring the keys. I hold Haribo.